2: What, a what,
1: a what do you call 180 minutes against Bate Borisov without a goal from open play? Progression to the round of 16. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. It doesn't matter how you get there, just that you get there. Survive in advance. This is knockout football, baby. And we are through. We have beat the Borisov uh, Tractor and Farmers team or whatever Bate stands for. and can't be ours to look it up right now. Um, but, yeah, we did that. We moved on. Uh, a, a glorious victory. At home, and a clean sheet, thanks in part to Licksteiner Clearing one off the line, but we'll get to all that. A couple of announcements to tell you about, but before I tell you about those, let's introduce Tim. You can find him on Twitter, at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter, at Clive P A F C. Hello, Clive.
2: Hello, hello.
1: Yeah, you'll be hearing about lingerie down the road. You may, in fact, be hearing about razors, hairy razors, um, depending on where you live in the world, and we're thrilled to have them on board, so thank you to them, uh, and I hope that you will use them to shave before putting on your intimates from the enclosed how that works. Uh, Over on Patreon, we have the Discord chat up and running. Lots of good people in it. Um, Was chatting with Tim and Clive about it beforehand. We're really enjoying it. I know Gunnar Blog was on there earlier and we were uh, having a chat with him and we'd love to have you on there. Scott's posting radars and You know, there's chat for match day chat and all kinds of stuff. It's just more like a rolling chat instead of uh, 18 parallel arguments of uh, people calling each other names on Twitter. So really your choice, however you want to do it. That's over on Patreon. If you don't want to do it, though, we love you and we appreciate you for being here regardless. Um, And, of course, we're, we're just thrilled to be able to talk to you about what was a scintillating victory over Bate Borisov. So... I have to admit, I wasn't sure what to expect from Emery, but the noises in the week suggested that it might happen, and it did indeed happen. Mesut Ozil, as I live and breathe, was on the pitch at the Emirates. Tim, uh, were you surprised (laughs) that Ozil started? Um, And in general, were you kind of happy to see the back three scrapped in favor of a slightly more attacking lineup? Um,
3: I wasn't at all surprised to see Ozil start. He started the last home game. Um, He started at home to Burnley, I think. I think the only home game he hasn't started recently was Man United and uh so I think there is a bit of a pattern in the selection of Meza Ozil. Um for me the headline stopper will be when he's selected from the start away from home. That's when I think you can possibly say ah that you know something might have changed here. Um but we'll we'll not see that um for at least a week and a half uh, until the Spurs game, which I'm certainly won't start um, because it's Spurs uh, and he's he's like really not being picked for that type of game. And I don't see that changing uh, and I don't think it really should either. Um, so I wasn't at all surprised. Uh, it, it made perfect sense as well. Bartow were always going to bank up. Um, and, you know, the the amount of, like, the reasons to not pick Ozil just don't really apply in this game, I don't think. So um, it made perfect sense um, as well. There was no need to play a back three, um, really, I, I think four was always going to be fine um at home I think you can maybe expect Barté to play the odd long ball and on a bad pitch and try and cause Arsenal a bit of trouble which they they kind of did a couple of times before they scored and then when they got their goal in the away leg they shut up shop but that was I don't think that was ever going to seriously happen this time and what we saw as well was that Barté were happy with the margin of the defeat um you know at 2-0 at 3-0 they made no attempts like to try you know it's clear that they even with the 1-0 first leg win their stated or well, not their stated intention their obvious intention was to keep it respectable which they did um they they never really uh, apart from that chance after we went 1-0 up they never really came out they never really tried to reverse the tie or anything so um yeah absolutely no need for a back three there and, and i thought it was interesting actually um uh, maybe we'll come on to it that he opted for Royale, um instead of kolasinac in that back four, and what that says about how he sees kolasinac um but yeah i it, it was largely the kind of the kind of lineup i expected i thought he'd go to a back four i i think the back three thing is going to be a feature away from home i'm not other than maybe the upcoming United game, I don't think we'll see it too much at the Emirates.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough for me, right? I mean, there were chances early for Bate, and then they really stopped being a force in the game altogether. And, and certainly, I think the goals killed off their impetus. But, Clive, I think we should at least touch on, before we get into Ozil's performance and some of the attacking play, the defensive play. Because you tweeted something out that I thought was really astute. Um, you know, so, so there's your there's your one. Wow. Um just kidding. Thank you. Uh, I, I learned quite a lot <laughs> from you constantly. But uh you know, you sort of tweet out that the way we defend is like four individuals, you know, just playing what they see right in front of them and, and that there's no coordination. And and that struck me as really accurate because the reason we look so panicked is it always looks like every defender is just reacting to the thing he sees happening in that moment with no understanding of where his teammates are, position on the pitch, the danger around him. And there were a few really Scary moments. And and Tim, not to disagree with you, you're right. I, I think that Bate did stop being a force. But there was also one a little bit later on. I think it was at 3-0, right, where the ball ricocheted around the box quite a bit. Um, and we just kind of kept trying to hack it clear. And it wound up with a, a really clear chance that that check stopped. I mean... Essentially, it just feels like panic back there. So I wanted to get your thoughts, Clive, on on the defending. And even with a team that wasn't really pushing forward to put us under a lot of pressure, why it is that we seem so unsure of ourselves at the back.
2: Right, so let's talk about this then. So I think it was a couple of days ago... Wasn't it an anniversary of the game when we played Real Madrid and Thierry Henry scored that wonderful goal? I think it was two yep. a couple of days ago. Yeah, that,
1: I think it was the 400th anniversary of that, or it certainly yeah, feels like a an Yeah, and, <laughs>
2: and we got, we, there's about a three-minute video clip out there of, of that game, and what a wonderful game that was. Look at the players on the pitch, look at the quality of players on the pitch, particularly in, in the top end of the pitch. In the bottom end of the pitch, I think we had Senderos, I think we had Flamini playing, and we had a few people that maybe not complete Arsenal Legends in that team. But, you know, I never would have thought that day, that a few years later, I would be nervous in a home game versus Bate Borisov because that's what I was in the first few, you know, first 20 minutes of this game and then you look at the players on the pitch and you think, okay, maybe a few years ago we didn't have a defensive strategy, I don't think we had an off the ball thought, we're all about on the ball, I see, I think we can all say, you know, this year we see a lot more off the ball work, we see an emphasis on harder work off the ball, an emphasis on to regaining possession but then you go to the back four and you look at that back four and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through it one by one, right? So, Montreal again. He plays in his in his hole. He doesn't progress up the pitch anymore. His legs are going really, really quickly, mm. really quickly. He is deteriorating very fast. A classic example of a player that should have been sold a year ago, 12 months ago, in last year's January window. He is a problem. People are running past him on the outside, running past him on the inside. So what does that do to Koscielny? Koscielny's best game was against Chelsea when he had the diamond in front of him. He was brilliant. He didn't have to go, you know, Tim made a great point that day on that pod. Didn't have to go dashing and looking around for work. You wait for the work to come to him and when he does that, he's very, very good player. The fact he's still our best defender, we all agree, that's an issue, right? Mustafi who had a statistically quite a good game in this game, but again he's somebody that plays with blinkers on, he sees what's in front of him and he goes and gets it. And then if you have got two or three players like that, what they do is they see the game. If they can't go and do work, they don't think, well I better cover around I better change my position. They just watch. They watch, and they take too long to recover into space, and they're not as young as they used to be to recover into holes. Lich Steiner, he's not very quick running backwards, so he wants to get tight. He wants to go and get stuff. You know, look at the 1-2 against City. He, he he got popped around. He should have stayed in his hole, but I want to go and get someone. I want to go and get myself tight to someone. So he just drifts out. And so you have this imbalance of defenders, aged defenders that either can't run, can't jump, and then what they're doing is they're looking after themselves, so they're playing as individuals. Now, when the best unit we have, I'll okay, go. We got a player injured, but the best unit you get is with um, Socrates and Cashoni, because they they sort of team. They play like a team together. Imagine that. And <laughs> yeah, and there's somebody there that's dominant that that tells people where to stand, right? And we just haven't got that with with this group, and it's a real problem. And it's not about Henry setting up a system, or it's not about what we do in midfield anymore, like it used to be. When we, used to, we used to vacate the area. It is purely about the quality of those individuals and how they mesh together, and it is a real problem. And I'm telling you, if we play that back four against Spurs, well, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be it could be life threatening uh, for me. Ca- I tell you, counterpoint.
1: <laughs> I mean, on the flip side, do we? Are we worried? I mean, I realize it's a way, but do we think that Spurs are going to carry the threat that Bate had? I just think it's something to consider. Well, you make a
2: very clear point. Thank you. Oh, (laughs) as always.
1: As always, I make make the points, the cogent points that have people coming back to this podcast. By the way, we will discuss the Wren draw down the road. Um, I'm saving that because I need to find some tweets to steal as my own ideas about Wren, who uh, I know very little about. In fact, if you follow me on Twitter, you will have seen my scouting report. Stad Wren, which I always assumed was where they played because that translates as Stadium Wren, is actually the name of the club, and they play uh, at a different place. That's not called that, which is— Pretty weird, if you ask me. Um, but apart from those uh, those trenchant insights, Tim. <laughs> I know it's become a meme, but it's a meme because it's a thing. Like, some stereotypes are rooted in fact. And the stereotype of us being a wing team, uh, a get-it-to-the-wings-and-cross-it team, are rooted <laughs> in fact. So I thought it was hilarious that the <laughs> the Arsenal social media account on Twitter posted a training video this week that was literally, like, working on our crosses. And, of course, they caught a rap <laughs> of shit for that. Um, and what do you know? Like, watching this game, look, over in the Discord chat, I was kind of joking every time we got it. To the wing, I was like, "We got it to the wing, hooray!" Because like that really does seem to be our prime directive. I mean, is is that am I overreading this, or does it appear at this point that we have kind of come to be defined in our build up and in our attack as a team that is looking to overload one or the other wing and cut the ball to the to the center of the box.
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and this was um, this was one of the few games I got in early enough to see the warm up, and that is exactly what they were doing in the warm up. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not usually in the, the early groundskeeper to at see the Emirates
1: that. is never going to have to do anything to the middle of the grass in the middle of the pitch. It's <laughs> it's going to be pristine.
3: <laughs> I mean, they they literally um, and and you know all of this makes sense because we see it in the on the pitch, right? But they they literally they lined up in a V. They had like Mkhitaryan. Uh, and then they had like Lichtsteiner. One would go on the outside sometimes. One would go on the outside. The other, and yeah, they were doing cutbacks. And then, like they'd do like one cutback along the floor, and they'd do one in the air. Um, and it's, um, it, you're right. It's become a meme because we do it a lot. It's it's actually quite effective in one respect. And uh, you know, like putting Kolasinac through on the, on the overlap, it happens a lot. We we kind of managed to to get him in those scenarios quite a lot even though teams must know it's going to happen they don't always seem to stop it but I think and well first of all for us it's pretty much the only thing perhaps we can see in Emery's Arsenal where we look at and think yeah that's something that's been worked on in the training ground it's something identifiable Um, and by the way City do it more than we do exactly um it's it's their brand um, i i said that the halftime show better. by the way
1: i yeah I, that is that is absolutely correct and i think they're very very good at it now i think they have a little bit more variety to what they do but yeah. they also have players exactly. that don't make it look as rudimentary i mean i think when it's a wobbi and yeah. the out there versus sterling and bernardo silva or sane and yeah. and you know uh, mares i i think it it looks different to the eye you
3: know yeah and basically with Arsenal the the, the problem with the match thing is it's the only thing and it's very eye of the needle it has to be very deliberate and you have to sit through a lot of goal kicks and throw-ins before it comes off and then like the cutback you know the cutback has to be very precise and when you don't play Aaron Ramsey none of those midfielders are going to get in there and make the second and so it's like you know it it's we can see it and it's something that you know could be successful but But yeah, but uh, and and of course, that um, that video goes up in the week, which we all had a a good laugh at. But ultimately, that's where all our goals came from. (laughs) So, you know, it's become like a, a bit of a brand and that in itself isn't a problem. It's just I think people want to see something more as well.
1: Yeah, and, uh, can, I, he, can I just do a little well, bit
3: on that
2: yeah, video? Yeah, I'd,
1: I'd, lo- I'd love for you to do it. So real quick, uh, Clive, can I just ask you, um, could you do a little bit on, on that?
2: Well, I'm just interested <laughs> what people saw in that video, right? Because you remember the first leg? Remember we were talking earlier about how we didn't put the ball into those danger areas, didn't put yep. the ball in there. Mm-hmm. There was crowd scenes developing. We had a discussion about what our forwards was doing, crowd scenes. Mm-hmm. And I felt they literally put those bodies there, those cones there, and said, put it in there anyway and this is what i want yeah. you to get used to we're going to crash the box exactly what you spoke about earlier we're going to crash the box crash the box we're going to they're going to sit in there we have to be comfortable running in creating lines for passing lanes this is what we need to be working on. I actually thought it was pretty good to see him because it sort of mirrored a lot of what the game did. I know we scored from set pieces, but they were always going to barricade that box. And so that was the only way we were going to score by running in. And okay, it would be much easier if Aaron Ramsey was doing it. He's somebody who just loves running in and arriving. So we're asking players that don't really do that, and Iwobi and Mkhitaryan and Erzl, to get closer to those areas and get around our one striker where we didn't have two strikers. And I thought he focused on that. And I thought it was, um, decent stuff. Right.
3: Yeah. I, I, I agree actually. And again, you yeah, I, I listened, I wasn't on the last podcast, but I, I listened to it and, and agreed with that. And uh, it's, it's a conversation a mate of my of mine and I had as well, where saying the same thing that you said earlier, you know, like that, they looked really stressed when the ball came in the area, yeah. and um, it, it's actually a conversation I had, like weirdly enough, at the women's game on Wednesday night. Arsenal were playing Yeovil, and uh, I'm I'm not joking. Yeovil played eight at the back, um, straight line eight across the back, and then they had two wingers who, <laughs> who also like banked up as well. They, like at nice. times, there was a line of nine, right? And Arsenal didn't score in the first half, uh, w- which is uh, amazing because Yeovil over- have conceded like 50 goals and Arsenal have scored about 50. And anyway, it, it was because it was all too intricate and it was all on the edge of the area mm. and it was all, let's um, back to goal, let's try and flick it around the corner. And it wasn't working. And what they did in the second half was like, right, let's start stressing them. And so the first goal was a deflected shot because someone decided not to be not to try and thread the eye of a needle anymore and when there's that many air bodies in there you stress them then there was a penalty because someone ran at them and again it's it's you know you you create stress in the penalty area and that's what we didn't do in the first leg that we did in this leg i mean look at the first goal that like and actually let me
1: ask you about that just real quick yeah, um, yeah, you remember when we had the Norwich goal, the Wilshire one that everyone was like, "Oh, yep. Arsene Wenger's Arsenal have completed football." Um, yeah. do you think Obamyang on the wing, crossing to the center of the box with no Arsenal player there, getting turned in for an old goal is the Emery completing football like Emery's platonic ideal of his completed football. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm trying, it, it. It. I'm, trying it. It. I'm trying to delete it. Trying to delete it. I'm <laughs> sorry. But, but you know what? You, just
3: just before that, there was a cro- they nearly did the same thing before that. It was a cross that came in from the left, and the guy hacked it away, and yeah. he wasn't that far away from the goal. And and yeah, yeah, like you said, like we had no one in the area, and they still panicked so much that they smashed it in their own net you know it that literally
1: was, looked a little match fixing ish
3: to me <laughs> a little bit <laughs> but it but it was like it's it, you know as clive alluded to i i think and i i i suspect and i hope that that was a specific game plan for this team it was
2: it was
1: can, can i ask you a you know question what, though I, then I, C- guys so all right if that's a game plan for the team clive i'm gonna make you answer a question then you can go off in the direction you had in mind just real quick just real tangent okay just real quick I'll, I'll, just, I'll, just I'll real This is what I find so confusing about us. So it was clear that they panic when they get in the box. It does seem that the game plan was designed to take advantage of that. We had 10 corners, and we took the first eight short. And then the first time we put it in the box, we get a goal. And the second time we put it in the box, it's a goal. What was with the short corners? If the goal is to panic them in the box, like, I I guess I don't get it. Like, where's the the joined up thinking there?
2: Okay, short corners, right? When you, t- when you take a short corner, sometimes you bring two people over and, and what, they, what you hope defending teams do, if you bring two people over, the minimum you should throw out there is two. Sometimes people go three. When you take three people out of the box there's more space to run into the box. So we're creating a short corner. You just create a few running lines where you don't get blocked off. So it do you just, think we just took them poorly,
1: to is your point? It wasn't a bad idea, we just executed poorly?
2: It board? was a bad idea. We did execute very well. It's, I don't I don't mind that. As long as the ball gets in the box, I don't really mind. If we go short corner and back to the keeper, then i got a bit of an issue. Right. So it's It's just highlighted,
1: I guess, by the fact that we scored two goals off two corners that weren't short corners. You
2: know? Yeah, exactly. I, I just think a, a little tangent I got in my head. I know we talk a lot about patterns and, and how we're playing. And I think, I think the issue is not so much what we do. Well, it's maybe a little bit of lack of variety. I think that's what we are really yeah. all saying. And, and what's, You know, I remember a few years ago when my son was at an academy, I I watched the training a lot there. I learned a lot from those professional sessions as such. And they work a lot on shadow play, pattern play. And it's almost a little bit like, you know, it's a bit soul-destroying up to a point, because you re- you realise how these patterns are so prescriptive. And when you grow up as a fan, watching the game, watching the beautiful you know, Wilshire goal against Norwich, that's not from shadow play, that's from a culture of playing, of playing short passes, etc, and first-time passes, and then you create something which is incredible, but very hard to read, the shapes. But it's very, you know, very creative. And what most teams are like, like including Man City, they are very very prescriptive in their attacking play very prescriptive and it's all trained it's all choreographed it's all practiced on an everyday basis and it sort of takes a little bit of the romance out of it right but but that is how football is played at top level because if you know what's happening you can make the run much quicker than your opponent you create the half a yard you need to get that ball into an area Mm. that's what that's what the game is i've heard me say before it's a game of inches at the top level and if you don't practice this you're not going to win the key moments. I did it with my own team on Sunday. We did a training session and we practice our three. We play three at the back and we practice how we exit. We practice okay, how you know. we go and connect with <laughs> the win backs. And we practice this. And I, And some of the players took to it and some of them didn't. And I'm saying to you, when you're under pressure, when that key moment comes and you've got that pattern in your head, then you're going to revert to this moment in training. You're going to revert to it. And uh, and uh, he's trying to explain to people it's very prescriptive and it's absolutely incredibly boring to actually train and, and instruct. But the results are and that key moment, in that key game, when mm-hmm. something happens that looks like it's made to happen and it works – it's, it's exhilarating. But maybe it's just going back. It's the variation that we're lacking at the moment. So we're only seeing one thing.
1: Yeah, and, and maybe that's down to personnel too. I mean, we we may just not have the right personnel, especially when Ozil hadn't yeah. been playing. I mean, Tim, let's do the hard yards. Let's just get out of the way. Okay. <laughs> what did you think of Mesut Ozil? <laughs>
3: Yeah, thought he was fine. Thought he thought he had um, a decent game. Movement was very good. I think uh, it
2: won't be needed. In... Need to check it.
3: It was it was great PR from Brand Ozil, um and very convenient for him to play well. Um, very cynical move against if a you bunch of farmers me. at the Emirates. <laughs> <laughs> joking. No, he. I, I get you it. No, he he like he combined pretty well with. Um, with particularly with Iwobi and I thought Iwobi's comments afterwards were quite interesting where he said you know he said quite outrightly he wanted him to stay in the team because you know and and you can understand why Iwobi thinks that because then he's like well then it's not down to me to deliver the final ball all the time I can actually you know I can do that like you know, that creative water carrier role. Well, did you see I what he said?
1: He, and what I thought was so funny is he's like, I know if I make that run in behind, he's going to spot me. And I was like, then why don't you make them? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and that's why he's always mad but, at you, dude.
3: <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't think he meant like a run in behind like the center half in the area. It's more <laughs> if you look at where Awobi plays, it's very much like when I'm out, you know, near the touchline and I want to get involved and get to the byline, you know, that's the past. That,
1: Eventually nine uh, of the Arsenal players yeah. are just going to be on the touchline anyway. <laughs>
3: yeah. Sorry. I can't help myself. Keep going. But, but yeah, yeah. And, and I think Mkhitaryan probably, um, you know, benefited from him and yeah, he was, he was good. He was fine. You, you would, well, he was more than fine. He was very good. And you would let, us you know, you would absolutely expect that. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. um, I, you know, I I understand why there's all the conversation around him. I don't think his stock has dropped that much that we're surprised that he can play well against Barté. And that that's clearly not entirely what him being in and out of the team is about. It's about something else. And I think Unai Emery hinted very broadly what that something else is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he he
1: was he was great, but um, apart you know, should, the, should he he should play the next two games, right? I mean, Southampton and Bournemouth, those those games I are think, teed up yeah. for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I, I think him or Ramsey. Um, I'd, I, I'd, I think, I'd play both, but that's just me. Yeah, I'm yeah, crazy yeah.
3: Like I, that. I think um, and this this is this is uh, possibly, well, it's not possibly. It is very hypocritical of me to say, as someone who, you know, talks and writes about Arsenal as much as I do, but I feel like we've kind of got to stop analyzing our performances through individuals like that I, I i think we're we're really still and and we've spoken about this a lot right because we have for the last few years just had an identifiable star player but like even you know even with the invincibles it wasn't like there wasn't this much focus on Henri because he was surrounded by so many great players but we, and there wasn't just, twitter <laughs> yeah yeah true but But we we're we're still very much in and it's quite ironic because I think Emery, not in terms of what the fans say, because that's that's not like his business or his remit. But in terms of how the team is, he's trying to get rid of that perception of the star player, that the team is the star and all of that. But we're like we're we're not on board with that yet. And we don't know if the players are either, but we're not on board with that yet. So it's still very much like what did Mesut do? Uh, Arno Mesut didn't play what would he have done had he been yeah. on the pitch and it's all very what would Ramsey have done what would Lacazette have done if we'd you know if we'd taken Lacazette or oh, sorry taken off of Bamiang instead of Lacazette we we still really analyze things very much through the prism of yeah. of individuals and, and I actually I have a bracelet was, that says WWMD like what would message <laughs> <laughs> but like the 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 thing I liked about Urzil's performance and and at his best he's like this was you know and this this is what you get from Urzil when he plays well it was a collective performance you know it's it, he didn't like i think um while he's not been playing everyone everyone's just assumed that had he been playing he'd have been like playing defense splitting through balls every 2 minutes but actually what what Mesut does at his uh, best is it, he is that kind of collective player. He is the guy who run over to Iwobi's wing for five minutes and kind of riff with him and run over to Mikatarian's wing for 10 minutes and keep the ball moving and, you know, move into space and create space. And, and, and that's what he did. Um, and so it, it's kind of ironic that there's all of this like star attention around him because he's not. Uh, he he might be a virtuoso personality from what we can glean um at the moment but at his best he's not a virtuoso player he is um an unselfish perceptive team player and 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 that's what he was on thursday and and if he can continue to do that on the pitch and when he trains and blah 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 then then we haven't got a problem frankly
1: and, you know, if I may sort of introduce my humble opinion uh, on the matter, I think what Messitt was doing is something that Ramsey does. It's something we don't have other players in the team that does. It was arriving in the box for what I would call the second phase of attacking play or second ball. He had the volley that just went over. He had the missed kick wide open at the corner of the six-yard box that went straight back, remember, to the top of the box for a long shot from someone I can't remember who followed that up. He had a couple of... You know, missed moments, but it was second phase of play type balls where we haven't had someone. Um, you know, we have one guy that's usually in the box and no one else that wants to arrive there. And, and I think he was arriving into the box to extend attacking play. If, if we've had one problem this season with our attack, I think it is that we have too many good attacking moves that don't ever actually turn into a shot. Our shot stats are way down. And I don't think it's necessarily that we're not getting the ball into advanced positions. It's that we're just—we're wasting a lot of good advanced positions. And I think Mesut Ozil helps convert good advanced positions into scoring opportunities better. Um, and so it's not just the, oh, he plays the defense-splitting through ball that finds a runner in perfect stride to you know slot at home. I just think he— he extends attacking moves, and he makes good choices that lead to those moves resulting in good shots. I mean, a great example of how not to do that is Granite Shaka, who had the shoot on sight policy, right, and was firing him into Rosetta. I mean, Grant, he had one really nice shot, to be fair, but you know those those low percent shots. Maybe my favorite shot of the game was. Was it Licksteiner with the full volley from 30 yards yeah. out? I mean, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That, that was a classic moment. But so I, I do think that Messick gives us that. I think that Ramsey gives us that. And that's why I think one of those two has to be in the team. Um, Clive, I want to ask you about Granite Shaka because I know that early on in the game you thought he was pretty good. I actually thought as the game wore on, he kind of had a bad game. And yet he had two assists because he delivered the good corners. So, you know, it, all's well that ends well. But... I think in these kinds of games what I'm learning is against the teams that want to sit deep and defend, you don't need both of Gendouzi and Shaka. Because, you know, what I noticed is they pick up the ball in the middle of the pitch and no one's there. So they go a little further forward, and they go a little further forward, and they go. there's no one stopping them. You know what I mean? So you don't need a guy playing the intermediate value pass up the pitch because there's no one contesting midfield. I just wonder if Shaka is is not necessary or or feels redundant in a game where he doesn't have to bypass that first that first line of defense
2: yeah it's a difficult one it's all about offensive balance isn't it i mean you're a coach right this game is um, i am yes professionally you need to you need this game for your life literally this doesn't work out you're in trouble You've lost one of one of your routes to the Champions League. This is a big issue for for Emery, and that may have. Um, I heard James say it earlier on today that may have uh, been the reason for his euphoric celebrations on the sideline. Right, so um, so I, I look at it. And I saw the team. I thought, yeah, it's fine. Uh, we're playing one plus one. We're not playing two strikers. We're playing one plus one. So that explains why we're getting late arrivals in the box because we're not playing two forwards. They're already there. Right, so that's that's the big difference in the balance that we played with. We had more creative midfielders creating the slightly more variation against a team that was rubbish and looking forward to their McDonalds. Right, so that's that's basically what the game was. I, I think in centre midfield, I, I you know I I understand why he does it. When the game develops and they drop into their box and we clear the one off the line, um, and it, it re- they recognise that they're in a bit of trouble and they really try to hold on to what they have, then you look at what we have on the pitch. And you think that's too many players that want to play behind the ball. So what we have to do is then people like, for example, Doozy has to get himself slightly further forward for the set off of an Ozil or Bamiyam who can get the ball to feet and set him for a shot. Quite close to goal, so again he he needs to sort of feel the game and recognise that potentially I don't need to be here. Shaka's got the back door shut. He's now playing the passes out to the wings. He's moving us forward. I can play sit right in front of him. The year when we had Shaka and Ramsey, and Ramsey was literally pressing people back from a position in centre midfield, starting, but really starting in front of Shaka in, in almost like a straight line. Right? So, and he just needs to develop that. And I think that would answer your angst for more later rivals into the box against terrible teams. It's all about the teams that you're playing against and what they're offering you on, on the day. Um, I'm not wed to either one. I just think we have to adapt to the game a little bit more and have players that are adaptable to the game and maybe not be so cautious, but one away goal we have to score three, right? So that's what that's what the coach is thinking. We're thinking as fans, they're rubbish, we're going to beat these easy, but you know, when it's your job on the line, you, you do sort of make sure you have the bases covered, right? That probably explains the selection and how they mm. played, particularly in the early parts of the game.
1: Yeah, well, so let's do this. Let's, um, let's take a break because when we come back I want to sort of summarize this tie, where we are right now, maybe take stock of where we are before things get really really hectic we'll look forward to the rent i maybe take 45 minutes to an hour to laugh about (laughs) chelsea getting a transfer ban and then another 45 minutes to an hour uh being aggravated that it's probably going to get overturned uh but we 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 can figure that out when we come to it so we're going to take a break some of you will hear about shaving all of you uh will hear about sexiness getting sexy in fact I, i am off for a uh A weekend getaway with my wife to celebrate Valentine's Day a day late and um, also I guess technically uh, tomorrow is the anniversary of our engagement. So we'll be celebrating that and uh, I have picked out a few really nice uh, sexy lingerie items for the weekend. I haven't decided which I'm going to wear yet, but I'll figure that out tonight. In any event, we'll take a break. We'll come back after you uh, wash your mouth out with detergent and uh, we'll talk to you more in a moment. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at the Enclosed The. E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D.com. Enclosed lingerie is a lingerie of the month club. That's right. Just like a beer of the month club, only better because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from The Enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, The Enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. Okay, we're back. And hopefully that got the uh, picture of me wearing lingerie out of your mind, although there I just went and did it again. Uh, Okay, Tim, yeah, Sorry to go right to you after that. Uh, 180 minutes against Bate, no goals from open play. Mm. Just a stick to beat the manager with or something to be upset about?
3: Um, I wouldn't say something to be upset about. Um, probably something to be a bit concerned about. I, I wrote something... Um, are we still in this week? Technically, yeah. Let's say this week. Um, I wrote something this week about like how few few shots on goal Arsenal take. Um, you know, twelfth in the Premier League for shots at the moment. Been outshot in more than half of our Premier League games so far, and uh, w- which is weird when you look at the amount of goals we've scored. So what that tells you, I think, is that and it, and it's an adaptation for us as Arsenal fans because we've been used to a fairly improv style. Um, of attack which at its best has been super exciting the way Emery plays football and has always played football with his teams is far more structured in terms of attack so it's more deliberate and it means that uh, for better and for worse Arsenal leave less to chance when they go forward Um, and therefore and, and I think that's a little bit why you see as well that Arsenal don't really go for teams that often when they're a goal or two up they do tend to not quite sit in but you know that that tends to be enough like arsenal kind of try to do the bare minimum um in terms Same. of attacking <laughs> uh, yeah we can all relate to that <laughs> um so uh, you know it's, so like i i don't i don't think arsenal really has like a real license to express themselves um, in attack, and and that that sounds like a real dig, and it's it's not really because you know as Clive alluded to earlier, it's the same under Guardiola. I don't know if you heard. Um, Henri had a, a like a little um anecdote about that. He yeah. said that when he was at Barca. You know, he was always told stay on the left, stay on the left, stay on the left. But then Barca had a counter, and he saw low load of space on the right, so he ran over to the right, and he scored, and he got dropped for doing that because because he didn't follow instruction. Mm. Uh, he followed his instincts, and he said he was he was left out of the next two games. And Pep had a go at him for it. So you know, it's it's that that's a very like structured, or you know, I think the way Pep does it is he splits the attacking half of the pitch into like nine zones and effectively he's like within your two or three zones yeah kind of move where you like within that small space and follow your instincts if you must but outside of that zone no you do you do what you're told and and i think Emery, is not exactly the same but similar it's a structured approach right and so once we went three nil up you know i do think there's this this sense of it's not quite shutting up shop it's right the job's done now and if we just observe the basics for the next half an hour then the job's done and and that's the end of it so uh, so i think the the flaws of that approach do worry me in terms of there not being enough jeopardy and us not stressing defenders enough um and part of that is some of the players we have we don't have a lot of dribblers um, or anything like that we have we have some quite similar types of player and, and part of it i think is um caution but not the type of caution that people accuse emery of which is playing three dms
1: even though none of them are actually dms mm. um I mean, how you know we play between four and five defenders, and none of them are defenders. So there you go.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so it's it's not that type of caution. It's just that it's it's a very like straightforward approach. But I, yeah, I do think there are flaws in that because I do think it means we lack variety. I think it do does mean that we lack inspiration. So on a day where perhaps things aren't going our way, like say West Ham away. For example, where it's just not really going our way and nobody really has the kind of the license or the inspiration to take it by the scruff of the neck and go, Right, no, I'm 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 doing this now. Um I'm gonna do something about this. So mm. um yeah, it's 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 I think it's something to be a little bit concerned about. But it's you know, it's one of those things when it works like it did, it's kind of fine, but what, what worries me is when it doesn't what what's our fallback when it doesn't
2: yeah you know what you know you Go know ahead, what, Tim, I think you I think you nailed this earlier actually I think it's, it's it's down to us and how we adapt to what's happening in front of us I I I think we have to adapt to the to changing ways of Arsenal playing right, and accept it a little bit more. I watched, I did a big t- Twitter thread on one of my train threads this week after watching the, the Bayern game versus Liverpool and and I think that Bayern unit would go to Liverpool and play like how they played and how they managed Liverpool, how they managed the fact that Liverpool is a heavy metal team that want to tear into you every time you make a mistake, how they kept possession, how they controlled the momentum of the game, how they just moved the ball into air Areas just to keep it just to quieten them down and eventually they started to prick their confidence and eventually Liverpool were forced to rush because they didn't have the ball when they wanted it and that means their accuracy went and I just looked at that game and I, and I thought to myself I've learned something there about Every game can't be the same. You have to adjust to, to what a team that may actually be better than you in certain particular facets. And we have to adjust and have the humility to adjust, to say, well, you know what, they're faster than us up front. So If I give them green grass, they're going to run into it. And you know what, if I do give the boy away in centre mid, they're going to transition on us really, really quickly, and we will not be able to recover back into our holes. And I just thought, for me, to see a team... Actually, approach a game with preparation is exactly what I've been calling for for the last five years. To be fair, Rather we than, we
1: all have, and now that we're getting it, we're exactly. we're not so sure about it.
2: <laughs> well, that's that's what I'm saying earlier. Exactly, we all have. We've all sat there and said it'd be great to prepare. It'd be great to have a coach that prepares different ways of playing, be tactically flexible. But when it comes down to it, when the shit hits the fan, and teams like may United and Chelsea are at the same points as us. What's, what we what we do is we say, well, why isn't he playing? Why isn't he playing? Why isn't he playing? And we would defer back to what we've been conditioned towards. And I think the message I sort of gave out was we've got to be open to different things. We've got to be open to learning. We've sure. got to be open. We may not like the guy, love him, like what he's doing, but be open to it and then see if we can try to uh, – Understand why, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, then you know what: the results will take care of itself, yeah. and and that will take care of his employment. I'll give
1: All you instead. I'll give you the counsel for, for the defense there, harkening uh, back to our <laughs> our attempted mock trial episode <laughs> over on Patreon, which people were very nice about, even if it wasn't deserved. Um, what I would say is, I think you're seeing the fruits of that approach, Clive, in the big games. I think this season, for the most part. Maybe with the exception of City and Liverpool away, which is kind of understandable because we're just not in their class quality-wise. Yeah. Um, we saw what happened to Chelsea. But otherwise in the big games, I think we've been good. And I think we've seen that Emery's flexibility, his, his tactical understanding of approaching big games, his way of nullifying teams from doing what they excel at, uh, has been impressive. And I think yeah. where Emery seems to thrive is nullification and reaction. In, in other words, setting us up to nullify the strength of a team and react in a way that takes advantage of that. Um, I thought you saw that clearly in the Spurs and Chelsea games that we won. The
0: yeah.
1: problem is where I think he struggles because he doesn't have a prime directive, a primary style that's front-footed. I think we're worse against weaker teams. And the problem with that is if if you want to win the league, certainly, and, and be a top-four team, you look at Arsene Wenger. If Arsene Wenger... Hung his hat on anything in the later years of his career at Arsenal, he hung his hat on butchering the weaker teams um, yeah. and putting a lot of goals past them, and sure, that's how sure we got tough. Yeah, sure. You want to come back on that? Uh,
2: and, and so you're looking at it really, really well. So it's in possession, out possession. In in those top top games, the possession is is quite equal, and so what you do in possession. Is, and how you transition it's really important. And we've got a, not a bad transition team. Go back to early part of the year, those length of the pitch goals. He's obviously been coaching that. When, and what Wenger teams have always been very good at we've we built a team in possession, known as the worst off-the-ball team in the league. But in possession, oh, my God, we're beautiful. So when we're playing when we're playing the flat-track bully teams, they're sitting back in. Well, let's all sit there. Let's get my hot dog. Let me sit down and get me nachos and watch Mesut Ozil stroke the ball square, 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 around the horseshoe, blah, blah, blah. Sixpence, Giroud, Ramsey, uh, Sanchez, by the way. Goal. Right. That's what we've been watching. That's what we've been watching. When we haven't got the ball... Uh, there you go. Let's run up the pitch and, and run past our old defenders. That's what we've been watching. So what we have now is a bit more of a two-way team. But actually, the players that we need against the flat-track bullies are the ones he's either in dispute with or are leaving. right? So, And so that's the issue. That's when we want to revert back to the Urzals because we know when it's a not a two-way game, he has the quality to execute against a team that doesn't want to play us. The problem is, and this is why he won't play at Spurs, when it is a two-way game, we are playing with 10 men. And the Ozil fans need to recognise this. We've got five, six years of it. We are playing with 10 men when we need to play a team that's as good as us on the ball. And that's what he's not prepared to accept. He's definitely not prepared to accept it if someone's not training or available or fit. He's not prepared to trust a guy. Mm. because He doesn't play at the quiet level of intensity. And even in this game... If we're brutally honest, it, it wasn't full-flowing, I'm going to – because this guy can move. He can run. He wasn't intense. Maybe he didn't need to be. You know, not every game is like that. He still looked a little bit weak to me. He's got a way to go to get to the levels that we know he possesses. He's still got magic feet, but he has got a way yeah. to go. He's nowhere near it, mate. He's nowhere uh, near where he could be.
1: I guess it's fun- funny, Clive. Like, I-, I could get so much more on board with the Emery uh, era – if he did everything the same way he's been doing it for the big games and the tougher teams and the bigger teams, and against the minnows, just like threw out all our best attacking players on the pitch and said, "Go get them," <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. I almost feel like, and I get, I get it. There has to be structure, and even weaker teams in the Premier League can hurt you now. But I just feel like maybe he he kind of has to figure out, you know, when you're when you're managing a mid-table Spanish team that that's trying to get top four and maybe there's only three other teams that are better than you in the league, like, you can kind of be cautious and, and hope to nick wins, but like, in the Premier League, you're better losing than drawing. I mean, go for a win at 1-1 and if you lose, that's that's fine. Like, three points are so important. There's so many articles being written by the, the you know, a- analytics community about always go for the win. I know it sounds obvious. Oh, really? Try to win the game? But what I mean is that like, at one one, you're better off losing. Trying to get to two one, you know, is what they're basically saying. So I just think we could use a little, a little bit of that, and we'll see. Because coming up, we have Southampton and Bournemouth. We need those six points because it's Spurs and United after that. Tim, uh, before we move on and, and just talk about what's coming up ahead to finish up, uh, two questions for you. One, we we don't have Lacazette for either leg of Wren. Uh, UEFA have announced that his ban will mm-hmm. will keep him out of that entire tie, which means Aubameyang is going to be the goal scorer up front. So my questions for you. One, do you have any concern that maybe his form is worrying, that, that he's dropped a level? And if so, might we see Emery use Lacazette in the league and Aubameyang in the Europa League to, to try to freshen him up?
3: So I, I haven't really noticed a, a big drop um, in Aubameyang, but, I mean, he's, he's quite a low involvement player anyway so um to to be 100 percent honest with you in the, in the absolute like technical sense i never really think about plays well sure you know, but like that like little chip
1: chip effort tim that he made didn't didn't that sort of seem like a n- not obama yang kind of like a, nah. a confidence finish you know what i mean it seemed kind of half-hearted to me you know
3: I've, I've seen quite a few of them Fair this enough. season um <laughs> To be honest, yeah, I I don't think like in the pure like on the ball technical sense he ever really plays well. It's it's just he's constantly a goal threat, and um, yeah, he still was in this game. Created the first goal. He got into that position for uh, that chance and missed it which you know we we see that plenty but he gets those positions so often i i do think that we might see uh, that yes we might see, because obviously we're we're on really thin ice um now like as out of the both games against Rennes. um because we you know, what would we do if we lost the Bamiyang for either of those? Like playing Ketia, play we're we're into Socrates like centre forward,
1: towering header.
3: We're we're into using someone as a false nine uh, territory there, I think. So um, I you know, I and I do think that he probably nominally prefers to play with one striker. It's just that he's got two really good ones who who often fit together very well and that's where the strength in the team is but i think in in emory's ideal world he has a lone striker with a couple of inside forwards um outside of him so um and and that could open the door a little bit more for ozil for these games for example because you know without lacazette there it made the choice to bring ozil into this game even easier than it already was So um, yeah, I think we could see that, and I think now he's got Denis Suarez in there. There's um, he can keep that shape. What what is a Denis
1: Suarez? what what is that well, what does
3: that thing do what is that he's, thing? so he's a rotation option with Iwobi and Mkhitaryan uh, yeah. as far as I can see like he he does pretty much the same thing as those two and uh probably the the shame really is that we got Suarez the instant Mkhitaryan got fit where we probably could have used him in December um and early January when Mikatarian wasn't around but uh, I mean that that tells you that that acquisition tells you I think how Emery really wants to play. He really wants those inside forwards in the half spaces and now he's got three players, whereas you know a few weeks ago he only had one that could do it. So um but you know potentially he can bring that four two three one back that seems to be his preferred style when he's got the players and you know he can give Suarez some game time or he can just keep him on the bench and bring him on and it means we make a substitution that doesn't change our formation um per se but yeah the short answer to your question yeah I I think we'll see probably Lacazette start and Aubameyang on the bench for um maybe some of these games around those Europa League ties
1: yeah I I guess you know it's funny Tim because I'm seeing some chatter now that we might sell Lacazette in the summer and this is where I think I don't really understand how people think we're going to build a squad and why I think the project ahead for Emery and for the, you know, for the Rowells of the world are going to be really tough because let's say you think we have to sell Lacazette because he's someone we can still get money for and we can go out and address other needs. Well, that leaves you with just Aubameyang, who's on yeah. the wrong side of the aging curve, and then Enkedia, who has we have absolutely no idea what to expect from him. It might be great, we don't know. And so if you go out and you sell Lacazette, Well, you do need another striker. And whatever you get from Lacazette strikers are super expensive. So even buying another backup striker for cheap is going to use up 75% of what you get for Lacazette. So yeah, what, exactly. what do you gain if, from that?
3: <laughs> and yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And it, it, it might be a slightly different story because we're probably going to have to make some more painful decisions. We're making some painful decisions. We're probably going to have to make a few more of them because, like you say, how we raise money from this squad is not straightforward. And so, you know, a player like Granit Xhaka um, might, be, might be vulnerable, for example, because the manager clearly really likes Gendouzi and he might think, well, in an ideal world... keep him but if i've got to raise 40 40 million pounds 30 million pounds or whatever then you know maybe i've got to say got to trust what I've got in midfield and but you're right with Lacazette if if Danny Welbeck's contract wasn't up maybe it's a different conversation maybe then you can say well we've got Welbeck as well and again in an ideal world you have Bamiang and Lacazette and Welbeck but if we got to make space somewhere then perhaps that's where it is but with Welbeck going no I I completely agree it make no sense I think Lacazette's one of the ones we've got to look at tying down actually um you know two two years gone for better be, and worse,
1: by the way, because I, I don't yeah. think he's at the level of what an Arsenal first choice... I mean, he you know, it's kind of like the Giroud thing. I love Lacazette. I think yeah. he's very, very good. I don't quite think he's what I'd want to be our star striker, if you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's another one, you know, like I said about Xhaka earlier in the season. I think, you know, uh, definitely like a top four striker. But Arsenal need to get back in the top four before they can be choosy Mm -hmm. about, you know, you know, like someone like Kieran Gibbs. I was always like, if you want to finish fourth yeah, Kieran Gibbs is fine, but he's not going to he's not the player that pushes you on a level. And um, hopefully in a couple of years, we'll be back in the top four for, you know, back in the Champions League for a couple of years. Then we can be a bit more picky about some of those players. Um,
2: But yeah, we're we're probably not there yet.
1: Clive, you want to chime in on that on on the Lacazette? Obamian situation in general.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I, I, look, they, they don't quite balance off, do they? Let's be honest, right? They they're not they're not flexible enough. They're both centre forwards. They both want to be free forwards. I think one's a Firmino type, and one day you know, go to the space type. Right? The so, only
1: thing I would say, I hate to push back so early on in your uh, in your articulate <laughs> uh, delivery, but I I think by calling Lacazette a Firmino type we maybe overplay his link-up play, which I think he can do better than Yang, but I still don't think it's his... He's not Firmino in that respect. You know what I mean?
2: Well, if you watch Firmino of late, he's not in great form, That's and there are too. doubts. There are doubts about him, and they are playing Salah a lot more as centre forward. So, it's just to describe the player in it rather than to describe okay, the quality. Okay, fine, I will contribute. I, to uh, <laughs> so, like, and, and I, I think Lacazette's the one. I agree with Tim. I think he's the one, and um, so I don't see. I think he's the one that you can build around more easily. I think if you were to get to your Vision, Elliot, I know you have a vision of having two wide men. You know, I think Lacazette like suits that a lot more. I think he offers glue down the middle. I think he works back. I think he negates the need for a 10 because he does like a nine and a half ten 10-type role anyway. But he's there in the box. He's the box striker. But if you've got two forwards, if you're surrounding him with two sprinting wide men that want to go inside like Liverpool had last season and like City have today and they've got three or four of them, they've got different styles – I think then you see a different forward because he has a defined role. And I think a lot of that analyzing the team, actually. And I think you got me thinking more about our roles. When we're discussing these players a lot, we 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 have different views on their roles in the team. And when you... I mentioned Firmino, you knew immediately what I meant, right? Because their role is defined, mm-hmm. right? So I think a lot of... I look at some of the things that are happening around us with some of the Spurs players, introducing players, which I think are... Very, very average. But when they're introduced, like an Oliver Skip, I mean, crikey, mate, he is so average. I'm I'm, I'm untrue, but he's been given a role. Harry Winks. He plays one position, one position only. In front of the back four, there's your job, there's your role. When we introduce our players into the team, we introduce them in multiple positions. And then we then criticise them based on either to what they're To be fair, they not, all
1: get introduced as a wing-back.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or left midfield or yeah. left wing. You know what I mean, so We, we criticise them on, on what they're not because we have hopes for that position versus who they are. If we could simplify that and introduce a young player into his primary position and then build him rather than build it very, very quickly by moving him around and then potentially losing his confidence and losing his definition. And I think we we have a problem with our offensive balance and definition. Um, our players are good, but because we've got so many different systems and not quite, quite, quite balanced and we're covering for lack of wingers. I think we then debate whether we're one striker team, two striker team, and then you will say, Elliot, quite rightly, why hasn't Emery defined us yet? Right? And I think a lot of that is down to the quality of players, the balance of players, and I just feel he's trying to do the very best with what he has, and then come the summer, then I think we can see the shape that you want to see
1: i mean look we've got 45 million to spend we could have a whole new squad by the end of the summer (laughs) i'm kidding i'm kidding it's a joke joke. (laughs) um okay look it's it's ren in the next round i mean tim i don't think any of us are going to pretend to be experts on ren do you have any opinion of this draw um no no not really
3: it's you know look it's a really good chance to go through basically we we should be going through um, we've got the second leg at home now, um, which, which I think is always slightly better. Uh, you know, we should absolutely be going through and be looking at going to the quarter final. Um, my rationale was very much that I wanted to play Chelsea because, um, I, th- I think we're going to probably have to beat them to win it. And
1: even between United and Spurs though, you wouldn't have wanted to put that off maybe one more uh, round because of that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. maybe. Maybe um you know maybe it's just my anxiety talking and i kind they're of they're also worry. not very they're not
1: very good like, <laughs> like at yeah, the beginning yeah, of the yeah. season i would have said they're the main obstacle but the way things are going with sorry and them right now i, I mean yep. you could make an argument that there are teams that pose a bigger threat yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah absolutely so um yeah i like i'd I have taken it um as a draw beforehand it's it, it's a good chance to go through um yeah, and, and I don't know enough about the team except for the fact they have Hatton Ben Arfa, and Hatton Ben Arfa um, has history with Unai Emery. Wants and,
1: Unai Emery, yes. <laughs> and... and
3: yeah, and no other managers. He's been an angel at all his other clubs with all his yep, other managers. Exactly. It's obviously a massive flaw in Unai Emery's management that he fell out with Ben Arthur um, out of all of his coaches. So Same we'll with Neymar, who's been notoriously
1: that. easy to deal with.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he wasn't getting coaches sacked in Brazil when he was uh, 17 years old. That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> so... <clears throat> um so so yeah we'll probably hear a lot about that in in lieu of anything else um to be honest but it, it it's a very Europa Leaguey draw um isn't it really it's not I, I don't ever remember rens being in the Champions League and but you know they're beatable and we
1: need and want to win this competition so bring yeah. it on and I'm going to tell you something too I think I'm going to tell you lots of things um you know there is revisionism that goes on when we look back at the past we were very, very, very bad last season. And the second half of last season, we were fucking terrible. We lost away at Brighton in uh, one of the worst games I've ever seen Arsenal play. And it looked like the team was downing tools. We lost, was it at home to Ostersunds or Drew or whatever when we wound yep. up going through? Um, Ostersunds. I mean, that's a lower tier team than Bate, Okay we still wound up getting up enough gears to cruise through, including past AC Milan to get to Atleti, who we probably should have beaten last year. So as bad as we were domestically last season, and as bad as we looked against Ostersunds, we looked bad in that tie, really bad, both legs. We still cruised to the of this competition. So I am willing to acknowledge that we have been terrible lately. I think we played awful football. The Huddersfield game was matched in its terribleness only by Bate away. And yet, as we saw last season, totally possible for this team to continue to progress in this tournament so i don't think there's any need to panic and that leaves us five minutes i don't want to go more than five minutes clive just to touch on it quickly jonathan Liu, uh Liu, Liu. lou oh uh, yeah wrote yep. an article about sort of the joy going out of arsenal and and the the cronky era at arsenal making it sort of a joyless place and you know i I sometimes think these things can wander into narratives that don't necessarily align with everyone's experience and maybe reflects a cross section of the fan experience. But I think it's worth touching on because you and Tim both reacted to it on social media. There's been a lot of reaction to it generally. Wanted to get your quick thoughts again, you know, couple minutes just on on the article and, and how it resonated with you.
2: Yeah, you know what? I haven't I haven't read it completely fully, Well, I saw it. And I saw, Couldn't you just I said I read it. it four times like Paul would have? Yeah, well, well, you know, well, I, I did read it. I skimmed it, but the reason why I skimmed it, I was so excited to to read it and to read some of the the the, the headlines and the key lines. I, I tweeted it out almost before I finished it because, for me, that encapsulates what football's all about. And every one of us started supporting this club because of how we felt about something somebody or the badge the club or somebody in our family it's all based on emotion when we sit here and do this i never forget it's always about how we feel about something we can talk about stats we can talk about all this we just all part of that picture when it comes down it's a feeling that got us in there it's a feeling that's going to keep us attached to the club and keep us in that stadium and when i saw this i thought this is brilliant. Someone's thinking like how an Arsenal fan is thinking. He's thinking about the fact that we are just not as exciting and we we as a fan group don't feel as emotional about this team as we used to. I'll give you another little story. This won't take five minutes, mate. I'm sorry, but I met Tim once. We went on a, postca- a podcast for another podcast and we sat in a studio and we spoke about Riyad as potentially signing about Arsenal. For Arsenal. And we both said, yes, get him. And the reason why we said it was we know what a player like that would do for the stands. When a player like that gets to football, everyone's back on board because we're excited. So we talked about these players, and you know what I feel about them, right? In general. But it doesn't matter what I feel about them. There are players and I and I like them because we need to get with them to get where we need to get to. But I think the quality is low, I think the excitement's low, and the emotion around the club is low and my biggest fear is irrelevancy that's my biggest fear mm. there are clubs around us that are becoming more relevant than us because they're doing more right things so don't look backwards at these players that got us in a situation try to look forward to the day when you can feel better about this club again because that's my worry there's too many red seats too many people dead from the neck up because they're not feeling it and i think this guy captured it a catch with an angle on it, and it's a subject I think we should talk a lot more about because this is what we all are in the end—we're fans—and it's about how we feel.
1: Yep, uh, I agree with that. I mean, that, the headline is "joyless and bloodless." Stan Kroenke's Arsenal has lost sight of its basic purpose, and the, the central thesis, you know, is that the job of of a football club isn't to just win. I mean, it is, of course, but it's to make you feel and feel strongly. And that Absolutely. this has kind of become a bland corporate experience um you know something that distinguishes the club from its ring binder at the company's house uh you know there are a lot of good one-liners in there but you know i I think that the general point is about making you feel I, i don't know that i was nodding along the whole time i read it uh only because i do feel strongly about the club still but i i can admit that from an identity standpoint it is hard to identify what arsenal means and what arsenal is as a club and that even in you know in the early part of Arsene's second decade, maybe not towards the last few seasons, but certainly, you know the 07 team, the thirteen fourteen team, I think was it ten eleven, th- there was an identity that I think was strongly felt from style to player to, to manager. Tim, I mean, as far as that article, do you think did it strike a nerve with you, or do you think it overstates the degree of ennui at the club? Um, no, I, I I think it, uh, it struck a chord.
3: I, so I think there are two things going on here. Um, there's the kind of off-pitch and on-pitch um, element to this. Um, as, as you rightly said, on the pitch, and it, it won't surprise you to hear, I've written about something for, about this for next week, about, um, I've wait. kind of called it a comms gap that Arsenal have got at the moment. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's because they've lost Arsene Wenger. Um who no matter what you thought of him or what you thought of what he was doing He stood for something he stood for something we could identify and and he 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 was able to articulate articulate, it exactly exactly. yep sorry (laughs) yeah and uh yeah 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 and and so i was thinking there with what you were saying the whole like project youth thing you know nobody at arsenal ever 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 once used the label project youth that was not arsenal's invention it was the fans that gave it that name and the reason they gave it that name was because it was so obvious what we were doing and it was so clearly communicated that we did the branding ourselves that that I mean I've never worked in marketing but that's branding gold when your audience brands something for you that tells you that you've got something that people understand and whether they agreed with Project Youth or not that's what we had and we knew it and at the moment what we've got is a bit of a two-tiered problem so we've lost Arsene Wenger who's a good communicator and lord knows I watched him save enough AGMs Um, to know that he's a very good communicator and and people like him and he has an aura we've lost Ivan Gazidis who was um, the more corporate side of that very silver-tongued very slick again that doesn't mean that everything he said was true but he was able to deliver a message and I've I've been in a room with Ivan Gazidis many many times and his gift is not in his words it's in his delivery he even when you are cynical as fuck and 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 you like you suspect him he still makes you feel calm he brings your blood pressure down and we've lost these two big figures right and we haven't got anyone who's jumped into that comms gap yet Um, and we've got a manager who's still wrestling with the language a little bit and then the one thing from this era we thought we could identify was Sven Mislintat We thought, ah, right, okay, this makes sense. I know what he did at Dortmund, and Arsenal are kind of a similar club to Dortmund. So he's probably going to do here what he did there. And oh, look, we've bought this guy called Torreira and this guy called Genduzi, who I've never heard of. And oh, look, they're pretty good. Right, this is the path Arsenal are taking. And now we've lost him. It's a bit like, so what path are we taking? And we can't really see it on the pitch. We can't really see it behind the scenes. And some of this is just transition and with a comms gap, you suck in speculation. So stuff like Ramsey, stuff like Ozil, stuff like Mislintat, stuff like, did we want Arteta or did we want Emery? None Join of this dox,
2: stuff. You, yeah, Join
3: exactly. Dox. You start speculating and that's what's happening um, at the moment. And so there's all of this, which, which I think eventually will come out in the wash because we're in a big transition and transition and change. I'll say a hundred times it's difficult, it's ugly and it's boring frankly and that's why I'm not you know I'm not hugely worried about the whole Ozil thing because and the Ramsey thing because I always thought that that would happen and I kind of yeah. think it needs to happen Change is ugly and horrible and ugly and horrible things have to happen um, the second tier of this is much much simpler kind of the reason that Arsenal have like a bit of a comms gap is it comes from the ownership right yeah. And the reason that the comms from the ownership is so bad is because everybody knows the truth, but they can't say it, which is that to the Cronkies, we are just another little turned over page in their portfolio and they don't really care about Arsenal and, you know, Josh Cronkey kind of getting Jeremy getting in a room with Jeremy Wilson once a year to say we want to win the Champions League. It doesn't fool anyone because we can see that they don't care about that. We can see that they're not going to try and push the club there. And, you know, so the on-the-pitch on the thing I think is a bit of a comms issue which we can sort out in time. The ownership issue, not so much because everyone knows the truth, but they can't say the truth. The Kroenke's can't and won't come out and say, yeah, do you know what? We we don't we're not hugely invested as long as you know Arsenal stay in the top six we're all right and and that's a problem because they can't say it we all know it but we keep looking at them saying you know say something that say inspires something else people.
1: that we like yeah, <laughs> we yeah hear, say they, something we want to hear they,
3: <laughs> they can't because it's not true and we all recognise that so we're in this complete deadlock cycle with the ownership and uh, and that that's a bigger problem that we can't solve until either the ownership changes what it's doing or the ownership changes and neither of those things are very
2: likely either. Yeah. And that's that's driving the emotion away, isn't it, Tim? Because people know this. And so when you know this, you sort of, you you sort of settle for your fate. And I think um, the only caveat I'll add to that is this is going to be the first summer window where Kroenke is the sole owner. If he doesn't deliver this summer or the club doesn't deliver this summer, and we don't speculate to accumulate going forward, then we know 1,000% this is what we are. And we are hoping for individual talent, either the manager level or the playing level, to come into our club to take us somewhere else because it's not going to come from investment or a new strategy and a new leadership thought process. It's just going to come from we better get lucky and find a Gareth Bale type player. In our club. That's what we're looking for at the moment. And um so Kane, yeah, how, could how, could, how could that fail?
1: How how could that strategy fail? That seems good like that, nailed on.
2: there's no there's no secrets out there in the world of football anymore, that's for sure. So good luck with that. So yeah. we'll see how we go.
1: Um I, I just want to end this by saying, by the way, that um the 0708 Arsenal team was my favorite of the last well, since the Invincibles. And uh I remember Alex Kleb fairly clearly as being a player that divided opinion even then in a really good team. Uh returning as a conquering hero to the Emirates.
2: Don't mess with L- Claire with Tims on this podcast. little weird. Well, I think Tim would agree with me. Tim, I'm I mean, just, no.
1: it's weird, isn't you. it? It's, the reception is weird. The the players that we take back to our bosom and the ones that we don't, I I still don't know the rules. I don't get the rules. I had someone tell me the other day that Sesk will never be an Arsenal legend and can't be loved because he went to Chelsea, and the person's handle on Twitter was Giroudiology or something. And I'm like, he literally <laughs> plays for Chelsea, like, like, am I going crazy yeah. so I, I mean am I not? like is it a little weird and sometimes arbitrary about who we i mean is it basically that as long as they fail after they it's, leave us, we love them <laughs> it 's a bit of that don't go and play
3: for a rival, and you know if it's it's eleven years since he left, you know and and that that's a lot of water under the bridge, a lot of memories fade, and a lot of people honestly just default to. Oh, it was 11 years ago. Things were better then.
2: Um ah, exactly that. We and, and used to feel things then, didn't we, Tim? Yeah, years. okay. But, yeah, but he yeah. pushed
1: yeah. to leave a team that could have won things. I mean, if you want to be mad at people, yeah. be mad at Matthew Flamini, who left us on a free. Be mad at Alex Leb, who left us when we were building something special. Be mad at Adebayor, who had a 30-goal season and then thought he was too big for the club and left for Manchester City. Be mad I at those guys. I am people are mad at him. Well, yeah, <laughs> fair point. But, you know, like, uh. like the funny thing is to all the people that are mad at Cesc, like Cesc left a club that was in decline and not... Going anywhere anytime soon, and really helped expedite the start of a, a renewal process that involved getting Ozil and getting Alexis and moving off in another direction. But like that, oh seven, oh eight team was special. The Rasicki injury hurt us. The Eduardo injury hurt us. But Adibayor, Flamini, and Hleb fucking off right after or shortly after. We don't need to go over the 07, 08 team. I don't know why I'm doing. You know, what? Yeah, we'll do a, a Patreon pod people- on the on the team that could have been of oh seven, oh eight. But I just <laughs> think it's funny that Hleb returns as a conquering hero. That's all. Yeah, it's
3: just people don't remember because ironically enough, they didn't really care about him enough when he was actually here. He wasn't hugely popular, but then he kind of went off abroad, came back to Birmingham. You know, there's, there's there's no, you know, the, the sesk thing, there's, there's a little bit more to it. Yeah. I know know all the reasons
1: and I know all the arguments. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And there was more of an emotional attachment and, and Claire, you know, he got, he got like a nice round of applause um, when he came on, which, which I kind of think is fine. Um, Yeah, I I just think it's because it was a long time ago and people always assume that a long time ago means better. Simple as that. Mm. Like like when we went to Forest in the League Cup a couple of years ago and everyone just kept constantly singing for Bentner. And uh, it's because they were interested in the meme rather than the actual player (laughs) we had. Um, Effectively, you know, it's, it's just, it is what it is. People just think that the past was better.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right, well... We'll leave it there with the past being better because <laughs> that seems like an upbeat final final thought. Uh, uh, Tim's on Twitter. Stilberto, thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Clive's on Twitter. Clive P-A-F-C. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. Give us a five-star review. And, of course, write nasty things about Paul. For God's sake, it's a long overdue thing. Do it. Uh, next week, mailbag on Patreon. I think it's going to be a Would You Rather mailbag. So, like the Would You Rather episode, but crowdsourced for you. Join us on Discord for the chat. It's a lot of fun. I think you'll like it. Um, and if you don't want to do any of that... We still love you. We're just thr- thrilled that you uh, consider us worth listening to. And, and we take that seriously, even though it doesn't always sound like it. But we do. And, and we love you and we appreciate you. So uh, it's back to the Premier League at the weekend. Hassan Huddle ha- got the best of us. I probably butchered his name, but move on. Um, in his first match in charge, uh, where we lost at Southampton. But the good news is they're rubbish on the road and we're pretty good at home. So big win incoming, which means we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Southampton. <laughs>